please. Romans chapter 8, verses number 26 and 27. Help is on the way is the message title, and it begins verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. A wonderful passage of Scripture, and one that we will hopefully gain glean from today that can be of help to us personally and spiritually as Christians. First off, let me say to uh, hear that many of our, quote, TV preachers uh, tell it, becoming a Christian is like being snatched away into some rich, provision-laden castle where you have all that you ever want, never experience any kind of hardships or heartaches or even so much as a headache. But the fact of the matter is that's not the true picture of the Christian faith. That's not true picture of salvation. That's not reality. And uh, the believer's life, the fact of the matter is these guys who preach and teach that kind of ideology are obviously going to pay for it. They'll stand before the Lord for deceiving people into such ideology. That's just not true. Our text shows a whole different picture. For instance, let me take you all the way back up into Romans 8 and verse number 11. The first thing it tells you in verse 11 is that and it says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. The first thing to understand that we Christians live in mortal bodies. Uh, that is, they're susceptible to death and decay and destruction and and uh, everything else that goes along with being mortal. And the fact of the matter is, that in itself is a tough goal, but that's not all. Look at verse number 18. In verse 18, it says something else concerning us. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, Christian people have sufferings. That's a given. If you uh, haven't had sufferings, you may not be saved. The ideal is that everybody, everybody has sufferings. Now, we may be in varied degrees and circumstances, but suffering is like chastening. There are no sons of God that are without chastisement. Because if you are, then you're a bastard and not a son. You're illegitimate. You weren't born into God's family. You just think you're in God's family. So suffering is like chastening. They go hand in hand with the Christian faith. And there's no way to get around it. The second thing is in verse number 23, or the, the third thing, in verse 22 and 23, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now, but not only they, but ourselves also. And uh, he goes on to say, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And he's talking about groaning with travail and pain. So we not only have sufferings, but we also have pain. And then verse number 23, on top of all that, we're called on to wait. He says, not only they, but we ourselves, or ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. The waiting, the ideal, is the completion of what God has started. What God has started in us, He's going to complete. But the fact of the matter is, you've got to wait. You don't get that right now. God's not finished with you, and He's not finished with me. You are a project under construction. And if you get the idea that you've arrived, then you've just made a major spiritual boo-boo. You've not arrived. You're not there yet. You're not finished with. He's got a lot of work on all of us. And there won't be any such thing as a finished product until we are glorified and we're with the Father. However, true to this context, we see that based on what God has promised us, you should, and I do, have hope. I remind you of what I did last week. Faith accepts things. Hope expects things. And so there's an expectation through all the suffering, the groaning, the pains, all this waiting and all this stuff. God's word is to be fulfilled and his work is to be finished. And the reason is because he's promised us and give us his word. And therein lies our hope. We have a hope that's sure and it's steadfast. But also through all this, we not only have hope and that's good and that's enough when it comes from God. But we have something else. We have help. And that's what the text in Romans chapter 8 is about today. You say when all these challenges of problems and pressures and pain and suffering and all this thing that comes with being mortal comes crashing down on you one day and you get caught blindsided and you don't know what hits you and you don't know where to turn, this verse of Scripture comes up. And this is what's so exciting about these two verses of Scripture which we address today. Verse number 26, it starts out likewise. Uh, it's easy to understand that is to say in the same way 
that's what the word likewise in the New Testament means in the same way in the same way of what well the same way that hope that certainty of what God said he would do to keep his promise finish his work and keep his word the same way that hope keeps us patiently waiting for the Lord's return the same way the Holy Spirit helps us while we're waiting he helps us while we're waiting and you see that's the, the context here the hope and the Holy Spirit keep you sane serving and at the same time very secure uh, you see the world doesn't have any of that and so the world lacks all that business of security and encouragement and hope and expectation they don't have any of that but the believer does and he has it because he not only has a hope of what's out there but he has help here while he's waiting for that which is to come and that's what the world doesn't have and so you and I ought to be the happiest campers on the street because we not only have a hope of something there but we have a help while we're waiting for it and don't you ever take this verse of Scripture out of this context. It just fits this context. It doesn't just fit anywhere. It fits right here. While you're waiting and looking and expecting the manifestation of the sons of God, and you're waiting for the liberation of planet Earth from this, this curse that's been placed upon it, while you're waiting for the Lord's return to do all that, then here's what you're supposed to be understanding. You have help while you're waiting. And it's help in that context. Folks are not waiting, not looking, not expecting. This isn't for you. This has nothing to do with you. It has for the believer who understands what this is all about. That he's in a mortal body. He has suffering. He has pain. He goes through travail. He has all the complications that mortality bring to him. And he understands he can't make it in this life alone. He needs help. And this is where help is on the way. The moment you trust Christ as Savior, help as it is has arrived. By the way, look at the word, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth. You ought to underline that word helpeth because it's uh, interesting. It's one of the longest words in the Greek language. Interesting, only in our English language, it's not very long at all. It's found only one other time in the New Testament, this Greek word, and that's in Luke chapter 10 in verse number 40. It's a very familiar text to Scripture. That's one where the Bible says, Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? And she says to him, Bid her therefore that she help me. Four letters in the English language, but the longest or as long a word, I guess, as there is in the Greek language, makes up that word help in that context. The fact of the matter is, if you can get this picture, you have Mary sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ while he's talking. Martha is in the kitchen. And by the way, I, I personally think uh, Martha was banging pans. You know, have you ever been in a place where somebody was a little irritated that things weren't going the way they should? And, you know, and you just hear this banging of pans. I mean, just all the kinds of noise, just knocking things. I honestly think that's what Martha was doing. And I think she, she did that so long and Mary just kept sitting there. And nobody came to the kitchen and said, may I help you? And the banging didn't work, so she burst in to the presence of the Lord. And by the way, she didn't say anything to Mary. She says to the Lord, why don't you bid her to come and help me? That word help is our same word that's found back over here in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, hepeth. In the Greek, it's the same word. What the point is, the same kind of help that Martha was asking for is the same kind of help per se in a practical context of spiritual work that we're talking about Romans chapter 8 meaning it needs to be practical it's not some uh, abstract kind of assistance or help or, or tutorage it's kind of help that would be needed and necessary and something that's very very practical how practical it is I think is understood better as you get a hold on what the word and how it came about first thing you understand is along this same idea the very name comforter that name comforter which the Lord Jesus Christ used when he promised the Holy Spirit when he went back to heaven the word comforter literally means one called alongside to help we know that that's what a comforter is uh, that word is translated in the New Testament by many words parakletos it's used uh, Brian used it this morning with the word advocate in, in 1st John chapter 2 verse 1 that's the word parakletos it means comforter it means someone to help someone that comes alongside of you and assists you but here's the word in Romans 8 and Luke chapter 10. This word, hepeth, takes it a slightly different way. It says this. Literally, it means to take hold of opposites together. It's like uh, when the men come to move the pews. We get some men on each end and somebody in the middle and we move the pews. 
the, the word, the Greek word in Romans 8 and Romans or, or Luke chapter 10 is the word in the Greek that means to take opposite ends and to lift. And you do it, by the way, together. That's also included in this meaning. To take opposite ends and then lift together. And that's the word that's used here in verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps lift on one end of the other at the same time. It means a, a lot of things to us, but what we get the idea is lifting some kind of furniture. What you need to understand, though, is that we have a part to play, and he has a part to play. And you better understand this. You can't do yours without him and do it successfully. And he won't do his without you. So see, this isn't a deal where he just does it. It's likewise he helpeth our infirmities. You've got a job to do on this. You can't just sit back and say, hey, I got problems. He's going to have to fix them or ain't going to get fixed. Well, you're just going to be sitting in the dark and in the cold and in the wet because he's not going to move a muscle until you do your part. Your part is you lift one end, I'll lift the other. But I'm not lifting this alone. I'm not... I'm not like a, a, a parent of a spoiled child to do every single thing for you without your action. I'm not going to do that. And that's what the word in the Greek carries with it. Verse number 26, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. He lifts one end and we lift the other. You bring it to Him. You say, here's the problem. Here's what I'm facing. And then you deal with the problem. But you don't get His help without you coming first to assist and do your part. Something else to be noted is His word is written in the present tense. So it carries with it the idea of the Holy Spirit keeps on helping us this way. It's not that he does it once in a blue moon. It's that he continuously does this. Also the word infirmities. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth, lifts one into the other, our infirmities. What you shouldn't get the idea here is that, that it means that uh, the Holy Spirit comes to help you in rare moments. That's not what this thing is all about. In fact, some of your translations will have it in the singular it is the ideal of infirmity. It is the ideal that it's a state or a condition that we're in. And so our state is one of infirmity, one of weakness, one of inability. And the Holy Spirit knows that. So the Holy Spirit continuously is ready to help when we exercise the intent to lift one end. You make an approach to lift one end and say, I need help. He's right there, right then, ready to help. And he will because he knows your infirmity. He knows the state that you and I are in. In verse 26, we uh, not only have a great hope for our future, but obviously sufficient help for our present. And while we're waiting on the realization of this hope, we're not left to ourselves. We, uh, we live in a fallen creation, a cursed creation. And that's why the creation groans and, and travails in pain until this curse is lifted. And that's what the earlier verses said. But you and I are not left to ourselves to just fend for ourselves as, as we can. Verse 26 gives us this word, this encouragement. It says, Likewise, or in the same way, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The uh, truth is that uh, we are secured while we're waiting with two wonderful truths. And uh, today, and Lord willing, next week, we'll cover those two truths. The first one comes in the text of today. Verse 26 and 27 is the work of intercession. The work of intercession. And I say that because it's basically the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who does this work of intercession. Someone who's interceding for you. But the other one is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, a work of intervention. And that's what we get to next week, where we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's intervention. But that's not the message today. Today's message sort of focuses on verse 26 and 27, which is a work of intercession. And uh, let me point out a couple of things. One, did you know that the only thing that the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to do was what? To pray. That's the only thing. Of all the 31,000 verses in the Bible, there is only one thing the disciples asked the Lord, would you teach us to do? Of all the things they were called on to do, he never told them, they never asked, could you teach us to preach? And our Lord preached, and our Lord uh, expounded what was truth of the Old Testament prophets. They never asked him about, would you teach us to preach? Uh, they never asked, uh, Lord, would you teach us how to witness? 
Never said a word about it. He said, now let me explain how you do it. Was he a role model in that? Oh, certainly he was. But they never asked, how do you do this? But when it came to praying, they said, would you teach us how to do this? This isn't something that just falls out of the lips, and so would you teach us to pray? And it happened over in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he was ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Let me tell you, you see, the fact of the matter is, people don't usually pray unless and until they have a sense of need that is bigger and greater than they and they feel that heaven has only help that they can get and they ask for it that's when people pray my personal opinion is believers should be growing and be grown beyond that and i think that we already know our weaknesses we know our infirmities and it ought to be that we'd come to a point where we would in our relationship with a heavenly heavenly father we'd come to prayer just to communicate and fellowship with him but many of us are not there fact of the matter is the average Christian is a crisis Christian crisis Christian we pray when we got a crisis no crisis no prayer life and the fact of the matter is that's why we get so little that's why we accomplish so small tads here and there because we pray so little we seek God's face so little and when we pray I'm not sure we really typically pray you know we, we I am afraid we've desecrated what really what prayer is all about and, and I think sometimes our church is desecrated. I think we contribute to the desecration. I, I think there's somehow a sense that we have put prayer in such a fashion that we act as if you can have sin in your heart and know full well you got sin in your heart, and yet you can bow your head and pray for the world to be saved and for the blessings on the services, and God will answer all those prayers. I remind you, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Will not. Now, you'll forgive me, but that may knock out 50% of the praying in the first round. That may just clear the deck. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Second problem is that there's such a sense of rushing into God's presence of being ill-prepared. You know, it's like walking into a conversation with someone and just spouting off a bunch of things that we haven't really thought through. And if anything in the Bible teaches us that you ought to be careful and thoughtful about your prayer life, it's Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26. Because this verse of Scripture states and sets forth very clearly before us that it is not how we pray that's so important. It's what we pray for that's so important. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Romans chapter 8 verse number 26 is saying, let me tell you what to pray for. And you'll not often know. So therein lies a problem. If you know how, but don't know what, you probably won't get anything from God. And that's where we often find ourselves. We come to Wednesday night prayer list. We have this motivator list. John reads it for us. And we have a substantial number of names on there for which we're praying. Who would be so daring among us to stand up and say, hey, I know exactly how to pray for Mr. So-and-so. He's got cancer, but here's how we ought to pray for him. I don't know what we ought to pray for him. Did God bring cancer into this man's life to bring this man to himself? I don't know that. Does God do that? Oh, I'm sure he does. I'm sure God would hurt you in a heartbeat to help you eternally. Like any parent will hurt a child in a spanking to help him long term. Sure God would do that. Because God doesn't see it as time. God sees it as eternity. So God doesn't work in a time zone. God works in an eternal zone. And so God's looking at the big picture, the major issue here, not just for this moment. Will you be upset with God for the moment? You may be, but if he has to hurt you to help you, he'll hurt you. And the fact is, we don't always understand that. We come to prayer and we just pray, oh, God, heal these people. It may not be God's will to heal these people. These people may need to suffer under this for whatever reason God only knows. So what happens when we come to pray and we don't have a clue of what exactly we ought to pray about? Well, this verse of Scripture says... Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself or himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There was a case in the New Testament. It happened in chapter number 20. And verse number 20 said, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, the children, Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring certain things of him. Sound like she's coming right. Great spirit, great attitude. She's coming in worship, Matthew 20, 20 says. And she's coming with a, a desiring a certain thing. She has something on her heart. She wants to ask him. 
That sounds like somebody would come in prayer. Verse 21, and he said unto her, what wilt thou? If you were to think every time you go to prayer, that's exactly what God's asking. What do you want? What are you asking me for? And he says, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, here's what I want. I want you to grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on my right hand and the other on thy left hand, or thy left hand in thy kingdom. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said unto her, you know not what you ask. You don't have a clue what you're asking me. That's not possible. I will not answer that. You see, and that's sometimes how we come in prayer. We come with something that God just simply is saying in his mind, I can't give you that. I cannot answer that request. It's not that I don't have, quote, the ability. It's the fact that if I answered that in God's great divine plan, it might knock down half the dominoes. And God said, no, I, can't, I, I won't do that. I won't do that. I have a plan, and the big plan is we're going to work the plan, and we're not going to get outside the plan. And so don't ask for that because I'm not going to give you that. We don't always know that. Let me tell you what. That's why, listen to me, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord is so very important. The better you know him, the more you'll know what to ask him for and what not to ask him for. Some people ask and ask amiss, John said, or James. And he said, the reason you do, because you ask for this to consume it to your own lust. It's not going to help the cause of Christ. It's not going to be a benefit in a long term, in a spiritual context. It's not going to help anybody better be better off. It's not going to do good. And therefore, you're asking it for your own selfish reasons. And I'm not going to give it. I'm telling you, knowing what to pray for is a big deal. And I fear we take it too lightly. We, we just jump into it and start mopping with our lips. And next thing you know, words come out and we've, we've, quote, prayed. But have we prayed? Does God really see that as prayer? Or does he just see that as foolish mumbling? I think sometimes he looks at us and says, if you really knew me, you'd never ask for that. If you really knew me, you would not ask for that. Look at also in this context, verse number 22, back up in Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 22 said, For we know, that was we know about the whole creation groans and travails and pain until now. We know that. In verse number 26 it says, We know not. Blessed is the man, the woman, the boy, the girl, who's been saved by the grace of God, who understands they don't know everything. We don't know everything. And when it comes to the Christian life, there is a lot of stuff we don't know. And it will do you good to understand that this is one thing that we do not know. We do not always know what to pray for. And when you come to grips with that, you're in a good company. Because look at Romans 8, verse 26. For likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities for... What does it say? What's the pronoun? We. Who wrote the book? Paul. Under inspiration of God. So Paul is saying, we, me, Paul don't always know what to pray for. Paul didn't know what to pray for. This great giant of, of a missionary, statesman, orator, preacher, revivalist, this guy didn't know what to pray for? Absolutely didn't. And it's easily proven. Look, if you would, in your Bible. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And look at verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And look at verse number 7. 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 7, Paul writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. And the besought there in that context is, is translated in many of the same contexts as I prayed. I fervently prayed. I besought the Lord. I prayed three times or thrice that it might depart from me. Verse 9. And he said unto me, Yes, I'll take away the thorn in the flesh. No. He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Here the Apostle Paul himself said, 
I, I didn't know what to ask for. I, I had this pain, this thorn in the flesh, this thing that was bothering and troubling me and hindering me, at least from my perspective. And so I went to the Father in prayer, and three times I asked him to remove this thing, and he refused to do it. Let me tell you something. Anytime you ask God three times for something, and he says no all three times, you've asked for the wrong thing. And Paul did. I say to you, he was asking for the wrong thing. God said, no, there's something I got. I got a bigger plan for you. And by the way, you see, you must keep in mind, and this is, I think, what's often missed in prayer. We, we allude to it occasionally about thy will be done, but I don't know that we really grasp what that's about. What it is, it's the plan of God. If you always think that when you're praying, you need to pr pray within the framework of God's plan. What's your plan, God? What are you doing? And I want to pray in concert with that plan. And by the way, just throw this in for what it's worth now so you can see it as it comes. That's where Romans 8.28 fits. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's the plan. And when you pray, Romans 8.26-27, in God's plan, then you're getting to see the bigger picture that everything works together for good to them that love God. The plan is the big picture, not this momentary essence on the screen, but this big picture thing. And what he's saying is that you need to pray in concert with God's plan. You want to fit into that plan and pray, Lord, help me to fit into that plan. Or if I'm praying for someone else, Lord, help them to fit into your plan. And whatever you need to do in this case, if it's sickness, if it's an illness of some kind, if it's an infirmity of some kind, if it's a sin of some kind, God, deal with that in a way that they can fit back into your plan. And that's what this context in Romans 8 and verse number 26 is all about. Something else to be noted here, and, and this easily is important. If you um, really want to know the truth about the thing, I think we're ill-equipped to make good judgments about what we really ought to pray for because I think we're biased by one, our own self selfishness in time and, and our own earthliness and our own environment and, by the way, our own flesh. We're sort of biased by that and we're hindered by that. So I think that any perception that we have wisdom to be able to pray for everything exactly the way it is, is erroneous. Can we? I think we could. But I don't think we are there spiritually, any of us. And I think the more you know the Lord, know His mind, know His heart, and know His plan, then I, might, I think you can pray more intelligently. So spiritual maturing and proper praying go hand in hand. You won't grow spiritually and not understand and know how to really pray. So consequently, something else to be noted in Romans 8, 26, that what, a, what I call a wonderful position. Look at this. The first thing to note here is, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The first thing you ought to understand is that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. See, we've already established that up in early going of Romans chapter 8. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So the Holy Spirit indwells you. So the first thing to understand that the first thing about praying is that the Holy Spirit need, wants you to understand he's there to help your prayer life. That's the first thing. He is going to intercede for you. And when you come to something you're really not sure about or what to pray for, the Holy Spirit steps up, and that's where He steps in to do and to help us to make sure we pray correct. And that's important, because while He's interceding in your heart, the Bible says, secondly, and like in places like uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25, Wherefore He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So while the Holy Spirit inside of you is making intercession to the Father, Jesus Christ at the Father's right hand is making intercession for you. And that's why the rest of the verse makes so much sense. Here's the Holy Spirit inside of me. He's interceding to the Father. Jesus Christ at the Father's right hand is interceding for us. And the consequence of the Trinity working together to bring about what's right. So I tell you, you got the best of both worlds. you got the Holy Spirit inside of you interceding. Jesus Christ, the Son of God at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. And that's what this whole passage of Scripture says in essence. It's, it's all covered. 
And by the way, in, in, you'll see that in verse 27 when we get there momentarily. And that's really what that verse is about. But here in verse 26, first, let me call your attention to the fact, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's an important and interesting phrase. You, you understand that the Spirit doesn't speak audibly. You already know that. I call this an inter-Trinitarian conversation here. You know, when the Holy Spirit is talking to the Father, but He's not saying a word. And that's literally the idea. He's, he's groaning, speaking, communicating in some terms that we don't understand. We have no clue what's going on here, and it's not important that you do. You'll forgive me, but it's not even important that when I pray that you understand what I'm praying about. You know what we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to pray so other people can hear us. We miss the point. If you're not careful, you'll pray to them instead of Him. Because you'll try to say the right words and you'll try to make it sound like you know God better than maybe you really do. Or you'll try to use words you're not comfortable with you. What you'd be better off to do is just say, Lord, here I am and here's what I'm going to come to share with you. And, and just say it the way you converse with anybody else. When you get away from that, you begin to try to impress somebody or you try to make them think you know something you don't or you try to, to, to impress your own self or try to ex explain something, you miss the whole point. And the whole idea is it's, it's better off that you not speak a word. You say, but you can't pray without speaking a word. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Bible's truth is here again, greatly illustrated. Look, if you would, in a passage of 1 Samuel. Remember 1 Samuel chapter number 1? 1 Samuel chapter number 1. 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Look at verse number 10 if you have your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Okay, she's praying. Verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child... Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Oh yeah, you can pray without your lips moving. You can pray with your lips moving, but no sound. You see, in fact, uh, somebody said this a long time ago, and it fits well. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without heart. And that's absolutely true. I, I regret to tell you that I, I get concerned in my own prayer life that sometimes I have the words, but I don't have the heart behind it. You see, you have to be careful when, when you say to people, hey, yeah, I'll pray about that, I'll pray about that. We may pray words, we may say words, we may recite words. But I personally think there's a difference in praying and reciting words. When I was in school, I, our, our teacher, bless her heart, she'd get up every morning, and I was back when God was still welcome. And uh, uh, our teacher would get up in the classroom and, and she would say, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. We recited that thing forever. We never did pray it, but we recited it. Let me tell you what. Prayers are meant to be prayed, not to recite. And if you get to a point where you just recite words, then you're going to miss the whole privilege and blessing and joy of getting your prayers answered because that's not what it is. It's not reciting words. It's praying. And it's praying with heart. That's why the Scripture says, listen, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much it didn't say the guy it's a pacifist who sits back and mumbles words and just sort of casually lets them drip, drip from his lips that guy gets what he wants from god that's not what it said it says the fervent effective effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man i i, I fear that we have taught another generation that there is no such thing as fervent praying Really getting such a burden on your heart for something, but boy, that you just hang before the Lord and cry out to the Lord to get what you really believe He wants to get and give and share, and you won't give up until you get it. Not a lot of that kind of praying going on. 
By the way, not a lot of the successes that went with it either. Because you won't have one without the other. We talked about it Wednesday night when uh, the service was talking when the disciples met our Lord and, and they came to this man who had a son It was demon-possessed. And they said, we, we couldn't cast this demon out. And they privately got alone with the Lord and I maintain they got alone privately because they was embarrassed. Well, they were Christian disciples, but they couldn't do this. This was a hard case. And so they privately got him alone and they said, why couldn't we do that? And he looked them in the eye and said, this kind, this kind, this kind cometh forth only by prayer and fasting. You've got to mean business to deal with this. And by the way, I might add, we don't have to deal with demon in possession too much, but we have to deal with the devil all the time. And let me tell you something. He'll dog your steps and your, your life and your home and he'll do everything in his power to do everything up to and including killing you if he can. He is a murderer. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he'll do everything he can to stop you in your Christian life. Now you tell me we don't need to understand this kind? Sure we do. This kind. This kind demands more than we're giving it. We're taking the devil too lightly. We're taking life in this fallen world too lightly. And we're not doing the fervent, effectual praying that we ought to be doing. And it shows. And it shows. It's like a kid sneaking to the cookie jar and thinking that he can eat five pounds of cookie a day and it'll never be known. Five pounds a day, five days in a week, 25 pounds, you'll know it in a week he's been eating them. Just look at his mid-waist. It'll show up. You see, there are certain things that just show up, and you can't hide them. You can't pretend they don't happen. And our failure in our praying is coming due. No, not just in the New Life Baptist Church, but here. But not just here. In all of Christendom. We put our emphasis on so many things other than prayer because it's effectual and fervent. That means it doesn't come lightly. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come simply. No, it's not that prayer is a complex, in-depth kind of thing. It's just you talking to your Heavenly Father. But there are some things that deal and are dealt with within it that are complex and are serious and are matters of which we just could not rush into God's presence and say some things and expect God's going to do something about it because if it's not in His plan and it's not in His will and it violates His person as principle, you ain't going to get it. I don't care how long you pray. You can pray till you turn green in the face and it won't come. And that's why it's so important to know the Father. And I say, this verse of Scripture is something else where it says, But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. By the way, just by the way, this passage of Scripture does not mean that there is some kind of praying tongues, charismatic kind of praying tongues, that when you come to prayer, you pray. There's several reasons why that doesn't fit this text. First off, it's not the Christian who's doing the groaning here. This is the Holy Spirit doing the groaning. The Holy Spirit groaning, groanings which cannot be uttered. By the way, if they could not be uttered, how would you think they'd be a language in the first place? You see, it just violates a lot of biblical principles. So the fact is, they're unutterable, they cannot be spoken, they cannot be uttered, and that's what the verse says. Now look at verse 27 quickly for the time we have left. He says, in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, that for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according according to the will of God. There's the secret. Remember we talked about the plan of God? The plan of God is the will of God. And that's what you will not always know. You will not always know the will of God. Uh, if I were to ask you to pray for uh, uh, somebody, and uh, let's say I ask you to pray for a neighbor who had some kind of sickness, you would not know, one, whether this sickness is unto death. That's the first thing you would not know. And that's, if you recall, that's the case when, uh, when they sent for the Lord Jesus when Lazarus had died. Remember, he said, this sickness is not unto death. And that's why he wasn't in a big hurry. Remember, they sort of got upset that he didn't just drop everything and head the direction of where Lazarus was. He said, because this sickness is not unto death. Well, we don't know that. 
We don't know how urgent this thing is. We, we don't know whether this guy's going to make it through this thing or not. So therefore, we don't know whether this is a, a prayer that has to, we just need to drop everything else and prioritize our prayer life and get down to business and praying. We don't know that. This guy may live another 40 years. This may just be a blip on the screen. This may be a bump in the road. So the issue is, if I don't know, what do I do? If I don't know, what do I do? Well, the first thing is, you admit you don't know. That's the first step, and it's a big one. I just, Lord, I don't know how to pray for this person. And by the way, I think probably ought to hear more of that. Lord, I don't know how to pray for this situation. I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know what you're up to. Now, if you do know what he's up to, and God has shown you experience in the Scripture somewhere, and you've seen an illustration, and, and you are convinced in your heart that this is what God is in pray specifically. Here's what the Lord needs to happen right here. And pray for it with confidence and faith. But if you don't, the first thing is to understand that there's somebody who does. Somebody who knows exactly how this thing's going to fit in the will of God. And you need to let them take over right there. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in this context. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and He knows you. The Holy Spirit indwells you, and He knows you. That's what verse number 27 is saying. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth that is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is inside the person he knows, but then there's God who searches the heart of the believer, and he knows the heart of the believer, but he also knows something else. He knows the mind of the Spirit that knows the believer. So here, the Holy Spirit that's inside of me, God knows my heart. He searches hearts. He knows my heart, but He also knows the mind of the Spirit. And when I am, as it were, overwhelmed with not knowing what to pray for, the Spirit knows exactly what needs to be prayed for. He knows me. He knows where I fit in this plan and what the need is for my life. If I'm doing the praying or if I'm praying for you, He knows your life and He knows what to do in your case. And it is a matter that I can just simply say, Lord, I, I don't know what to pray for for this person, but you do. And I commit this to you right here, right now, to do and to work it out in accordance to your will and your plan. And I do pray this by faith. And that's exactly the responsibility I have. Because you can't pray for what you do not know is to be. And the fact is, that's where, where we have to depend upon the Lord. By the way, somebody described it well, and I, I think correctly. They said that this cooperation of the Father to the Spirit and to the individual believer is like a firm of lawyers. And one of the officers or the partners in the law firm leads or administrates the office. He collects and classifies and arranges the documents and the evidence for the case, and he gets to know the client. The other one, the other law partner, goes to court with all the material that the office lawyer has provided he takes it to court appears before the judge and he pleads the case on behalf of the client based on what the other partner has given him and therefore they work in partnership the uniqueness is in the work of the Holy Spirit being the officer of the lawyer in charge of the office which is in our case us and Christ who is the advocate that stands before the judge the interesting thing is that God the Father, who is the judge, knows the hearts of all the officers, the minds of the Son and the Spirit, and also the client. These folks are all working together. You know the only guy in the bunch who doesn't understand all of it is the client. But you know in a court of law, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. If he's got a good lawyer and a trustworthy judge, you don't have to worry about a thing. That representation is about as good as it gets. And that's pretty much where we are. We don't know what to pray for. We have no clue on some occasions what we ought to be praying for. And it comes up to us where the Holy Spirit of God, knowing the circumstances, to do and to accomplish what He will and His way to best work in concert with the big picture plan. And therefore, it behooves us that we trust Him. By the way, in accordance with verse number 27, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because He maketh intercession for the saints. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of the Father or the will of God. And you remind yourself of this. The Holy Spirit in your heart will never contradict the Holy Spirit in God's Word or in 
the presence of the Father. It means the Trinity of God always works in unity and harmony with the Word of God. So the better you get to know God's Word, the more in harmony and unity you'll be in what you ask for the Father. And the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind. That means any desire that you have that you're going to pray for, if they are contrary to the will of God, you can be sure of this. The promptings did not come from the Holy Spirit. If it runs contrary to what God's Word says, which is the will of God, then you can be sure it did not come from the Holy Spirit. I read this last week uh, just in a, what I call a rabbit trail in my devotions one morning from the book of Esther. And I was reminded again how that uh, Esther, of course, you know, really lay her life on the line to save the Jewish community at that time. And uh, what was interesting about it is, uh, as you recall the, the, the story uh, of the guy who, uh, Haman, who was trying to get all the Jews killed and so forth, when all that scheme and work fell through, uh, which I had really paid very little attention to, in the past, I had noticed that when it was all said and done the other morning, I noticed that the king came to Esther and Mordecai, her uncle, and he turns to Mordecai and he gives Mordecai, the scripture says, the king gave Mordecai his ring. When I read that in the past, I didn't really think a lot about that, but then this time I read the whole context of the passage. And what happened was Esther was saying to the king, look, would you reverse the order and the decree that you sent out that all the Jews should be killed, would you reverse that? And what he literally did was he takes his kingly ring off and gives it to Mordecai and says to Esther, you write the letter and you stamp it, Mordecai, with my, my kingly ring and it'll be as if I spoke it. And you can get whatever you want. So Esther, you write the letter. Mordecai, you stamp it with my ring and it will be as you desire. I never heard of anything more like prayer in my life than that is. The king was saying, I understand your plight and you want your fellow countrymen saved. And I concur with that. That's my will too. So here's my ring. And here's the stationery from the palace. You write the letter. And Mordecai, you stamp it with my ring and you can have whatever you wish. That ring will get it done. That's what we have. Only we don't have a ring. We have the Holy Spirit. And He knows the Father and He knows Him so well that if we depend on Him more, we'll be more sure to pray within the will of God. The more you pray on your own to pray your ideas and your thoughts and your thinking, the less you'll pray in God's will because we're not there yet. And that's imperative, therefore, that we look to Him and depend on Him and pray in Jesus' name based on what the Spirit of the Lord has brought before us from His Word. One final thing. I was reading two days ago about the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. The Wailing Wall, of course, is a, believed to be some of the original stones from the Solomon's Temple. And you've seen many pictures on the... Used to, you see them on the evening news. And they quit letting cameras in to take pictures that were moving pictures. And uh, they, at one time, was an ordinance passed that they couldn't. And then they lifted the ordinance. And I don't know whether now you can see any actual moving video or not. I, I think they allowed for some... Uh, um, some cameras that were run through uh, computers that you were able to see, but I don't think they allow any news stations down there at all. But the, the Jewish people would come in and write the request on a, on a piece of paper, and they'd take the piece of paper, fold it up in a, in a certain fashion, and they'd stick it in the cracks in the wailing wall. Well, the fact of the matter is that there is a, there is a post office in Jerusalem, and they used to get mail, and it would say, uh, Jerusalem wailing wall in care of God. And... Uh, people actually got to a point where they believed God came to the wailing wall when everybody left and took out all the paper. What they didn't know was it wasn't God that was taking out the paper, it was somebody else taking out the paper. But they believed God was doing it. They believed God came down to that place, the wailing wall, and removed the little pieces of paper and took them away to sit down and figure out how he was going to answer all these requests. Well, first off, we know better than that. Uh, our Heavenly Father does not now abide on this earth. He is in heaven. But he works on this earth through his spirit that indwells individual believers. And for that reason, it is a fact that you and I at any point, any time, any place can bow our hearts and our heads 
and commune with him. What a privilege that is to know that you have access to the Father at any moment, at any time. And the only thing that will bar your, your presence there is sin that enters into your life or your heart. Otherwise, you have liberty to walk into his presence and bow down and worship him and then ask him for those things that are necessary and needful for your life to be the success that he wants it to be. Problem is, we just somehow don't take advantage of it. It's like owning something that is of great worth, but not fully appreciating that as we should. This morning, I hope that you will take a second look at your privilege of prayer. And I hope that you'll take a look at your responsibility within it and understand the help that God has provided you with to make sure on every front, on every account, that you can indeed confront the Father, share your heart, your burden. And when it comes to things you don't quite understand what to pray for, Holy Spirit's there to say, I can take care of that. I can take care of that. But there's one thing that's for sure and for certain that comes first. There has to be a sense that your life has it as a character. And I... I talk a lot now about character of uh, our individual persons, and I mean by that, what the character of your life is. Uh, because if uh, somehow, some way, the character of your life is to run your own life, run it and rule it your way, you're probably, first off, not going to be a praying person. That's the first characteristic of somebody who runs their own life. But for somebody who really comes to the Lord and, and seeks His face, and if you're a parent and, uh, and uh, you have had challenges with your children as they've grown up, you've probably caught yourself more than once falling on your face and just telling the Lord, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to deal with this. You don't know where to turn, and you don't know exactly how to help in this case, in this situation. Well, let me tell you something. If you lived your life independent of Him all along, and then it just came to a crisis, and you ran into His presence, you'll forgive me, but I'm not so certain He's going to come through. Because here's what he, what he wrote. He wrote it about wisdom, but the application is similar to that which we have in the New Testament of a couple of passages. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 24, he said, Because I've called and you refused, I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I spoke to you about things in your life that were out of bounds, that were out of order, that were wrong. And you paid absolutely no attention to me. You acted as if I was an intruder into your life. You did not stop and say, Lord, look, I, yes, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I did not follow your counsel, and I am sorry about that. Please forget. You didn't say that. He said, you would none of my reproofs. Then he said, verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. And I'll mock when fear cometh upon you. When your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I'll not answer you. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they are that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, and they despised all of my reproofs. You see, the fact of the matter is, that's as much the plan of God as anything else you've ever read. You see, that's what I'm getting at. We can't live our lives in total abandonment to the will of God that's known. And then when we face the will of God that we don't know, come running into his presence and expect him to do something for us to get us through that. He says, wait a minute, when you knew the will of God, you didn't do it. And now you're asking for the will of God in an emergency crisis of sorts and something that's painful and suffering to you. Why should I give in now? I gave it to you before, and just maybe if you'd have followed that advice, you wouldn't need this prayer. And by the way, that often happens. We'd be good to do and to look over the past of our life and look at our prayer life and look what you prayed for if you could, if you had it in a computer and you could draw it all up on a screen and look at every time you prayed. What did you pray for? What was you praying about? You'd probably shock to notice that if you just simply, in some cases, done what God said over here, you wouldn't have had to pray over here. 
Oh, not that you couldn't come into his presence in fellowship. I'm not talking about that communion. I'm talking about the kind of thing that's a burden on your heart and you're suffering and you have pain. And, and so it's almost always our failures. And we do well to remember that. All of us. Whether it's a failure in your job, whether it's a failure in your parenting, whether it's a failure in your witness, whether it's a failure in your testimony among the folks you work with, there's failures on every front. We need to understand we fail. We're human and we will. But the fact of the matter is, if we would simply obey the Lord more fully and more completely and more thoroughly, probably a possibility is that you'd get to spend more time in the Lord's presence in fellowship rather than asking him to undertake and intervene in special cases to solve problems that we ourselves have engineered. You see, it's a necessary thing that you learn to pray and pray right. The question is, do you pray at all? Do you pray at all? If you were to be asked about prayer, is prayer a strong point in your Christian life or is it a very weak point in your Christian life? Is it strong or weak? Is it a weak point? Is it a strong point? Do you have a time when you really get to know the Lord and spend it in prayer? When you talk to Him and share your heart? Nobody's around. Uh, I submit to you, I think we need more closet concerts, as they used to call them, where you just get alone and nobody be around and you could just talk to the Lord out loud and just pour out your heart, talk to Him and, and bear your soul. I think we need to get back to that. Because we've been so influenced and intimidated by everything and everybody around us that real effectual fervent praying is a rare jewel and our society reflects it the question is does your life does your home does your family reflect it does it think about it our father in heaven we thank you for your word and we thank you for the admonition that it brings to us concerning our own failures as believers and are lacking to get up to where we should be we know where we should be but we aren't there and in so many cases we take prayer so lightly and it becomes a matter where we so easily could save ourselves heartache if in fact we had done our jobs and obe obeying and complying with your word father i pray remind us we're a people of infirmities and uh, we have lots of them we're even in a state of infirmity a state of weakness we need thee. We need thee every hour. And I pray, Father, that you would just bless, lead, and direct, that you would guide in our hearts and lives to help us to see the dependency that we ought to have upon you. And I pray that you, as you did with the early disciples through your son, teach them to pray. I pray that you'll teach us to pray and to be effective in our prayer life and to try to shut out as it were other people when we pray whether it's the men who pray in our services here help them I pray to shut out from their hearing anybody or anything around them and help them to think only in terms of being in your throne room and conveying to you the burden of their heart for that moment help this preacher in his own prayer life his private private prayer the praying that's done in the office there and in the chambers at home. I pray, God, that you'd help us to pray in ways that would honor and glorify you and ways that would indeed comply with your will for the things we request. Help us to be a praying people and help us to be effective praying people. Father, help us not to be people who have a great vocabulary in prayer, great recital of words, but help us to be a people who get things from you because we allowing your spirit to work in our hearts and lives, pray within the will of God and see your will, your plan materialize before our eyes. We do know it's your will that lost people be saved. And we pray this morning for any who are here in this building who have never believed on you as Savior, they may come and trust Christ today. I pray for any who are here who ought to come for believer's baptism. We know it's your will that they follow you in that identification of salvation. So help them to come. And some who ought to come for membership, I pray you'll press on their hearts if this is the place for them. You know the need and you know the heart. Or maybe folks ought to come this morning and just confess, Father, the failure in their own prayer life and acknowledge that this is such a serious matter and such a serious area of our Christian walk that they need more of your help to get the job done. And I pray you'll just help us to do what we ought to do. And whatever we do, help us to do it for your glory. And you're being honored and not for any show. Speak to our hearts now and cause these things to settle deep into our souls that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? 282 in your hymn book, the first stanza of that song, Just As I Am Without One Plea. If God has spoken to your heart this morning and you ought to come for whatever the reason is, we invite you to do so as we sing. 282 and verse 1. Together and sing, please. Just as I am without one plea. If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? God has spoken to your heart. Would you come? God has spoken to your heart. Would you come? God has spoken to your heart. Would you come? And let's sing verse 2, if you would, please. 